song full of faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. Welcome to the House of Mercy podcast. We're happy you're listening and I, I hope you're doing okay. Virus free. Um, yeah. Yeah. Doing some good in the world. Yeah. Um, that's right. Uh, what kind of announcements we have going on here? Do, uh, let's see. Well, you know, we really miss everyone. Um, but it doesn't seem wise to open the church up yet. So we're still looking to what to do and when to do. And, but do know that we miss you and we're, we want to see you again. Yeah, and uh, we're just so grateful to be able to, while we can't all come together, we get to do some stuff that House of Mercy has always really found important, and that's, um, you know, read the Bible and think about it and uh, talk about it and, I don't know, reflect hopefully from uh, on a different narrative than we find in the world. So we're grateful for that and grateful for all of you who continue to support us, even though you have not seen us. And to all of you who've just found this uh, House of Mercy Sunday service podcast, but maybe never went to the church, we'd love, uh, why don't you go to the website and you can uh, donate a little something, support us. So when we are ready to open back up and the world's ready to open back up, we'll all still be around. Yeah. And... We hope that happens sometime. Yeah. That the world opens back up. Well, hey, we're grateful for you. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. God of mercy, wherever we are, 
however we are, tired, anxious, disbelieving, believing, delighted by the day, or despairing, breathe into us and make us live. Amen. Please join with us in singing House of Mercy hymn number 14, How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. God's word he has given, how beautiful heaven must be, how beautiful heaven must be, sweet home of the happy and free, fair haven of rest for the weary, how beautiful heaven must be. Angels so sweetly are singing Up there by the beautiful sea Sweet chords from their gold harps are ringing How beautiful heaven must be How beautiful heaven must be Sweet home of the happy and free Fair haven of rest for the weary How beautiful heaven must be How beautiful heaven must be Please join me in the prayers of community. God of mercy, we pray for some sort of miraculous intervention or some more run-of-the-mill cooperation. One way or the other, we pray that the division that is racking this country and the world will end, or at least begin to diminish. Help us come together enough to confront the pandemic. Help us recognize how being human makes us alike in an enormous number of ways. Even when our neighbors seem immovably wrong to us, we pray for some sort of movement among all of us to some sort of recognition that we're going to have to work together to survive. God, in your mercy, help us. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, the promise that you can make life even out of dry bones in the desert, the stump of a tree that has been cut down, resurrection, it's hard to believe. But help us bask in the promise, even for a moment, that you keep creating life, reviving it, in the most hopeless places, darkest times, that you never give up on us, your creation. We've not always handled the life you give with enough care and gratitude. Thank you that you keep giving it. 
God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those who are suffering from mental illness and those who care for them. The strains of these times are too much. People desperately need some relief, some light, sleep, something hopeful on the horizon. We pray for even fragments of peace. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those who are sick or dying or grieving. We pray for healing and strength and whatever it takes to get through the day. We pray for love and mercy that reaches into the depths and brings comfort. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Today's scripture reading is from Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you, and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tenons covered them. Flesh grew and skin covered them, and there was no breath in them. He said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to it, This is what the Lord God says. Breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am Yahweh, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks recorded it. I was surprised to see that it was only 1999. I feel like I have a memory of hearing the Chipmunks doing the song like from my childhood. But it was like from their straight-to-video Chipmunks Halloween during one of their many uh, reunion reboots. I don't know, maybe Alvin did it on one of his solo records, you know, back in the day when he figured he was carrying the weight of the whole group anyway and he wanted to go in a less squeaky direction. Yeah, 
you know, the version of the song that I hear in my head from my childhood is not that Alvin and the Chipmunks version. But I, I found with just a little research that actually what the, the song in my head, the version in my head, was actually by the Four Lads. And that's not a nickname for the Beatles that the Squares would use because they were trying to be hip. No, the Four Lads were a folk singing group from Canada who evidently sold millions, uh, millions of, uh, of records. Uh, real swinging, I guess, uh, Canadian swinging version of the song. Yeah. The song, of course, is also known to me as a children's sing-along song. I mean, maybe you sang it in music class or Sunday school or at camp. I don't know. Maybe maybe you had to have to have gone to camp or Sunday school or music class between like 1958 and 1972 to know the song. Or maybe it's just one of those songs that's in the cultural consciousness, you know? Everybody knows a little bit of it, you know, the head bones connected to the knee bone, the knee bones connected to the, you know, T-bone, I don't know. You know what, maybe I should really qualify what I mean by cultural consciousness. What I mean to imply by saying cultural consciousness is that it that really anyone who exists in America probably knows it. Because we share the same absorbed cultural touchstones and general knowledge. But what I'm really saying when I say cultural consciousness is that I am at first unconsciously confessing, and now that I have caught it, I am consciously confessing that I am taking and making my childhood, which is largely informed by white, working, and middle-class America in the second half of the 20th century, and making that the standard for everybody. And now that I'm aware that that's what I'm doing, I'm realizing that Alvin and the Chipmunks and a Canadian folk band are probably not the cultural touchstones for everyone when it comes to versions of the late 1800s spiritual dem bones. I found what is mentioned in many places as the most famous version of the song, the 1947 recording by Fred Waring and the Philadelphians. Mentioned many places at the most as the most famous version, which I was really digging until I saw their picture. And I mean, they might as well be singing a singing group from Canada. And having already enjoyed this version as the authentic version, I mean, I didn't know they were white when I listened to it. So I felt retrospectively like cringy and racist. And, uh, Here's a bit of it. I I, I know, uh, well, I'm just going to play it for you. Yeah. Yes, Mom. 
Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I know. Why did I play that for you? Because like now I, uh, I implicated you in uh, the racism as well, you know? So, sorry. But here's a version of the Delta Rhythm Boys from 1950. Yeah, okay, so that's the Delta Rhythm Boys from 1930. Now, if I point out that the Delta Rhythm Boys are black, that seems like a little racist, too. Like, it's okay to listen to that or because it's, it's authentic because they're black. I mean, I don't know, just to identify their race, maybe this is, that seems a little racist. And... To feel that that's, yeah, that it's more authentic because they're black seems a little racist too. But but it, it actually, it is a spiritual and, I mean, there is maybe something to be said for spiritual to be sung by a black group. Um, I mean, anyone who has ever heard the Mormon Tabernacle Choir sing Sweet Low Sweet Chariot, I mean... That is not a good look. Like, if someone, like, let's say your dad or, you know, the guy from work who says he doesn't see color, if they ever are asking, like, what is cultural appropriation? I don't get it. You just show them this video of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing Sweet Low, Sweet Chariot, and then they say, oh, okay, I get it. Here's a little for you. Yeah, the video too, you know. There's not a there's not a, a movement. A bunch of white people in robes standing straight up. There's no sway. Anyway, maybe that's racist to say that. I don't I don't know. I mean I don't yeah. Like okay, I'm starting to feel like maybe this whole way I'm discussing this song is racist. I'm like, I'm truly like a bull in a systematic racism shop. But maybe that warped metaphor even seems problematic. What I mean to say is, yes, I am living out systematic racism with every move I make. Because, you know, systematic racism. So I'm trying to identify and confess my racism as a step toward being anti-racist. Or maybe stumble, maybe a step is seems too intentional or I don't know. Anyway, Dem Bones actually is written by James Weldon Johnson in the early in the early, in the early twentieth century. Now James Weldon Johnson collaborated with his brother on many songs. Not only was he a well known songwriter, he wrote poetry, novels, essays. He was a key figure in the Harlem Renaissance. 
and he served as the executive secretary of the NAACP. And he was appointed by Theodore Roosevelt as the U.S. consul to Venezuela and Nicaragua in 1906. And he was the first African-American professor at NYU. Amazing man. Like a Renaissance man. Well, Harlem Renaissance man. Anyway. All any Renaissance, he was, you know, he did all kinds of things. He was amazing. One of his most significant books is God's Trombone, Seven Negro Sermons in Verse, published in 1927. And it's a book of poems patterned out after what he called folk sermons, which he said that the folk sermons were overlooked in folklore studies. He thought they should be uh, included more, looked into more. In talking about God's trombone, Johnson said, I remember hearing in my boyhood sermons that were current, sermons that passed with only slight modifications from preacher to preacher and from locality to locality. Such sermons were the Valley of Dry Bones, which was based on the vision of the prophet in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. For the train sermon, in which both God and the devil were pictured as running trains, one loaded with saints, that pulled up in heaven, and the other with sinners that dumped its load in hell. And the heavenly march, which gave in detail the journey of the faithful from earth on up through the pearly gates to the white throne. And there was, this, there was a stereotyped sermon which had no def- definite subject and which was quite generally preached. It began with the creation and went on to the fall of man, rambled through the trials and tribulations of Hebrew of the Hebrew children, came down to the redemption by Christ, and ended with judgment day and a warning and an exhortation to sinners. When I went to seminary in, uh, in Berkeley in the 90s, I was lucky enough to study with one of the great preachers in America, the Reverend Dr. J. Alfred Smith. And he said, in the black church, no matter where your sermon starts, it better end with the children of Israel being led out of Egypt or Jesus raising from the dead. Hope. Hope. People come on Sundays to rehearse hope so we can live it out the rest of the week. Now, I obviously came from a different church tradition. Not the black church tradition. Um, I came from a tradition tradition where... if I were to echo uh, J. Al- Do- the Reverend J- Dr. J. Alfred Smith's comments, it would be something like, no matter where your sermon starts, it better end up with you telling them that they are all sinners and better make sure they have Jesus in their hearts or they're going to hell. That was more of the tradition that I came from. But clearly... I have not preached in that tradition, nor have I followed the Reverend Dr. J. Alfred Smith's dictum. Now, I've always delighted in, I guess, not so much breaking from these church traditions, but in my mind, deconstructing both the ideas and the form of the sermon. I like playing with structure and sometimes pointing to hope by making it clear in its absence. I used to say sometimes you have to talk about the darkness to separate it from the light. I have in the past reveled in a poetics of irony and playful cynicism. 
The Valley of the Dry Bones, Ezekiel's vision, is a straight-ahead sermon of hope. Ezekiel was a priest in Jerusalem. He witnessed the Babylonians destroy the city and the temple, and he was forced into exile in Babylon with the rest of Israel. And it was there in a refugee camp in Babylon, in the midst of the suffering of his people in captivity, that he had this vision, that he preached this sermon to the people. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. And there were many, many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. He said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus the Lord God says, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves. O my people, I will bring you back from the land, and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. Thus says the Lord. You know, at at other times with this text in my preaching career, I would have eschewed the simple, straightforward metaphor of rebirth and resurrection and reanimation, the salvation of the people. I would have searched and said for some complex negative theological twist. I would have maybe started out with some popular culture riffing and then ended abruptly with the hope hanging there just out of reach where the listener would have to go find it on their own. A hope born out of inverse calculation or intellectual masery. Why would I do that? Well, whether I I first did it by instinct or clearly articulated it earlier, I don't remember. But right now, I think I was doing it because I was trying to deal uh, deal with the realization that my people from our social location, maybe all of you, my contemporaries, well, we weren't captive in Egypt. We weren't suffering in Babylon. We weren't literally oppressed by the empire. Although, to listen to many of our sermons, we certainly do rattle on about that quite a bit. But it's a different kind of... It's not like a... They don't own our bodies. And... You know, also realize that we really were not in need of personal salvation. We'd, uh, 
we'd let go of that. We reasoned out of it. We didn't believe that there was action required on our part to be saved. We, uh, we didn't need a personal salvation that would save us in the life to come or give us hope that though we were dead because of our sin, God would give us new life in heaven. So with neither of those things, the realization that neither of those things uh, were the case, I'm left then to interpret the children of Israel being led out of Egypt or Jesus raising from the dead as a poetic reminder of my, that my existential angst and anxiety produced fear is taken up in the radical mercy. Which is true, but also I see now that it is privilege. It is privilege to have to struggle to create a kind of suffering that I can be relieved of. Because there are so many people (laughs) who need no complexities. It is true that we all suffer but we do not all suffer the same. But there is hope. We are not all saved individually. There is hope. We are all saved together. Not one bone, not one body raised up, but the whole valley, all the dry bones, the bones, all the dry bones come together. First the bones come together, then the sinew covers them, and then the flesh, and then the breath. We are raised up together to stand together. The song that James Weldon Johnson is best known for is lift every voice and sing. It's known as the Black National Anthem. And it articulates a hope. A hope that is not simple, but a hope that is straightforward. Lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven ring. Ring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the listening skies. Let it resound loud as the rolling sea. Sing a song full of faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of hope that the present has brought us. Facing the rising sun of our new day begun, let us march on till victory is won. See?
This is God's table, and all are welcome. On the night he was handed over to death, Jesus took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it, and gave it to the disciples to eat, saying, Take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and gave the cup for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember me. Partake of communion, if you can, during the next hymn. Please join with us in singing House of Mercy, hymn number 17, Are You Washed in the Blood? grace of Christ and the love of God and the peace of the Spirit go with you and be with you. Amen.